Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz Gund. Today, I have another special guest on the podcast, Neurodistinct Life Coach Michelle Markman. Welcome, Michelle. Of course, thank you for coming on. I have a few questions for Michelle today. Um, so Michelle, uh, I think the first question I wanted to ask you is, how soon in your life did you realize you were different? Like Even before you knew that you were neurodistinct, of course, how soon did you realize you were different and how did it affect you early on? socially inclined but around age seven or eight I think is when I started realizing that there were differences and that other people saw those differences and therefore I was different I see and uh was that mostly like at in in school situations and stuff in social interactions I had a a bit of an unusual upbringing. I went to preschool, kindergarten, and first grade, and then I was unschooled from second through eighth grade. So I did a lot of unschooling, homeschooling meetup groups. And in that time, when I would have social interactions with other students, is when I started realizing around that age that I was different and I was being treated differently, even though I didn't see myself that I see. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that feeling, like even from an early age when I was in school or, you know, in in situations that I had um, social engagement and I had to engage socially, uh, I would feel like it was almost like as if everyone spoke a different language or everyone spoke this common language and I didn't really speak it or like I knew some things or some phrases maybe, but it's just like, it's literally like it does. Cause my, my therapist actually described this to me like a few years ago and she's also the one that got me, you know, kind of started introducing me to the neurodiversity paradigm um, because she happens to have a lot of neurodistinct family. And so she had, a lot more she has a lot more understanding about neurodiversity than my my previous therapist for example um and most therapists i feel unfortunately um and so but like it was really enlightening i remember when she said that to me about it's like you speak a different language and i was like yes exactly that's how it always felt like i i spoke a different language yeah, and I do say that in my coaching practice that neurodivergence and neurotypicals speak a bit of a different language. We communicate slightly differently. You know, neurotypicals will tend to sort of beat around the bush and they'll speak with a lot of body language, whereas a neurodivergent person will tend to tell it like it is, say what they mean, and expect you to take the words at face value. So that's where I think a lot of the communication issues can arise. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I noticed from early on is it's like, I would say things literally with a literal meaning, like communicating super directly and thinking that that's how you communicate. Like, and I would be like, okay, I'm just communicating like, and then people would always seem like, I remember like, there's so many times like, people would just seem off put, you know, they would make a weird face or something or they would just be really confused and I mean it's also like I don't know it was just weird for me interacting with people in general especially as a child because there were some kind of things there was some stuff like people would um call me certain names and then you know like they would say oh like or I would you know, they would imply that it was, like, something that, and I think it was to a certain degree, like, something that kids would do, at, the, at, at least at my school, is that they would just, like, call each other these names. And then, so I would call them that same name, and then they would be all weirded out, like, if I did that. So, um, I don't know, they're just, I, I could go on more, more of a tangent about this, but there's a, a lot of stuff, like, that, that I, um, can relate to in terms of like early life and school and those differences um so my next question uh is how hard was it and this is maybe partially related how hard is it how hard was it requesting accommodations in school i mean i guess maybe like because you didn't know yet that you were autistic at that time but did you have any other like differences at the time that you knew about that you tried getting accommodations for? So I had accommodations throughout college. I went to junior college for quite some time and then had accommodations there, but without a diagnosis. And then it was at my university that I attended where I was finally formally diagnosed at 27. So I had experience using accommodations, just not the diagnosis. Um, but what was interesting is that when I got out of college and got into the career world, I really stopped using accommodations. I see. And I think that was a bit of a disservice to myself, but something that I found working in professional environments was that not every professional environment is going to accommodate accommodations if you have an invisible disability and it can be very discouraged in some workplaces yeah well that's that's definitely a shame because that's really that's really frustrating and like that's one of the things that I hope that um us you know autistic advocates and along with the help of neurotypicals, of course, uh, you know, this, this is one of the main things that I try to stress in my, in my work is like, we need schools and businesses to be more accommodating to neurodistinct folks. We need, 100%. yeah, we need, and it like, they need to listen. I feel like they're not listening enough to neurodistinct voices and like our perspective on not just like what accommodations we need but like how we want them how we want to be accommodated what's best for us 
Um, like, because what I find, and, like, I did request accommodations, like, when I was in college and such, and I did get some. I'm not, I won't say that I didn't get any, because I got some, but when I was, when I realized, you know, thinking about, like, these disability departments at, at schools and, and, you know, at even companies and such, like, they're usually, who's running them? It's usually not disabled folks. Um yeah, and so, like, it's so problematic because, like, I I start thinking about it and um, I'm like, wow, so, like, all these schools, like, with neurodivergent kids, like, even diagnosed, these kids don't have enough resource, enough, like, where they, they're not getting enough, like, neurodiversity-affirming resources if all these, like, disability departments... Are, are being um, controlled by neurotypicals. So, uh, right. yeah, it's just... And, yeah, and yeah. you know, the ADA, the Americans with Disability Act, is actually written around visible disabilities. So in my opinion, that needs to be rewritten because at this point, anyone with an invisible disability has to prove that they have an invisible disability. Whereas if you have a visible disability, if you are, say, an amputee, you've lost a leg, you don't have to prove that. So how is it fair to tell us neurodivergent individuals with our different brains that we have to prove that we have a different brain just because we can't see it? And that, I think, needs to be changed. We need to change the way the laws are written. Definitely. I mean, that is, at least in my opinion, and I'm sure that many others would agree that it's very ableist that that because that's placing you know that the way it's written now it's placing more it's like basically saying that you have to fit a certain stigmatized mold of what they believe disability is supposed to look like it's completely erasing and invalidating as you said, it's it's erasing and invalidating folks with with hidden disabilities um, or non visible disabilities. Um, it's just really frustrating. It's exactly yeah, and it's gatekeeping for those people that can't afford to have assessments if they are adults and they don't have the resources to have an assessment, so they can't prove that they have brain differences and they need support. Yeah, exactly. I think it really, it needs to change. And I think that's part of the reason it's so important that we speak out in the neurodiversity movement and that we do things like talk on podcasts and share our stories is to get these changes to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't think that's the thing. Like, I just don't think, I mean, I don't know. It's It's just hard because they're not neurodivergent, but they don't understand it's like my neurotypical friends like even the most like even my closest neurotypical friends that I would consider strong alleys or you know I would call them alleys but it's like they're alleys to like the extent that I'm not trying to bash them it's like I get it but they're alleys to the extent that they're comfortable and they're just never gonna fully understand like it's just like they don't get I just 
I don't know. It's just like, I don't want to get in trouble with anyone, but uh, it's just, I don't think they fully understand. I get frustrated because like, they don't get how this is literally not, it's not just a passion because, you know, it's like they'll say, oh, it's great that you have this passion now, but it's like, yeah, it's not just a passion though. It's literally, I'm fighting for change. I'm fighting for like to change the way people are treated and, you know. Yeah, yeah. We're fighting for equal opportunity. That's yeah. what it is. We want a fair shake and we want to have the same opportunities that neurodivergent, neurotypical individuals that have. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's, yeah, it's, um, I think, you know, with time, I am getting people to understand more, but it's just, I don't know, it's always like, and I think it's just one of those things about advocacy, it's like, you know, you have to give yourself a break sometimes, because it does get um, frustrating, like, and I just try to remind myself too, like the people that do get it at the end, the people that do always support me, but like, it can be frustrating because sometimes like even close friends of you, I don't know, it just feels like they don't always get it and people don't always understand. But, um, you know, I just, I've gotten better at, uh, you know, um, and realizing that too and then kind of reminding myself to like focus on the people that really do really understand what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's so important in building your community is making sure that you're choosing people that will care for you and support you and be good to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, my next question: uh, What was the self or uh, formal diagnosis in your case process like for you, or maybe even both? like for you and were you given any resources by the person that diagnosed you? Yeah, so my formal diagnosis process was a very long assessment, um, multiple hours of multiple different kinds of very uncomfortable tests that I had to do with a graduate student at the university that I was attending. And at the end, I was provided with a diagnosis, and she was very kind and very gentle about the way that she gave me my diagnosis. And I appreciate that. Um, the accommodations that I had were basically the same that I had before the diagnosis, so I didn't really understand why the diagnosis was necessary at the time. And I did not believe that it was accurate. I see. So it was it was quite a bit of time, about five years, that I went sort of thinking that it was incorrect before I started connecting with other autistic individuals, neurodivergent individuals, and learning about their stories and sharing anecdotes and just realizing how much their stories resonated with me. I will I was say, really able to it. yeah, no, definitely. Like I can see that because I will say I had a very similar experience. Um, I got diagnosed 
at age 16 when I was living in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and it was still called Asperger's Syndrome at the time. And um, it actually, uh, it was not long after that, I think within a few years, it that Asperger's Syndrome was eliminated from the DSM and it became, or at least in Brazil, it was known as Autism Support Level 1. Um, yeah. And, um, and, but I, I remember not understanding that at first, like when it, uh, like, cause like before I had much exposure to the neurodiversity paradigm and everything, um, I used to think of Asperger's as like a separate, as like, I used to think that, well, first of all, I, I used to, I think I didn't understand that support needs can fluctuate. And I used to think, yeah, and I used to think that you had to have high support needs in order, all the time, in order to to be considered autistic or that you were just Asperger's. And then when Asperger's became autism level one, I was very, I remember it took me a while to process that because I was just, because of the stigmatized ideas that were given by the media and the movies and stuff, um, it, I just couldn't process the fact that I was actually autistic. Um, and then, you know, I started, um, I started working with a therapist that has a lot more understanding of neurodiversity than my previous therapists and probably than a lot of, uh, therapists out there. And she really started introducing, like sharing some resources with me and introducing me to the whole neurodiversity paradigm and then from then from 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 then until like just a, within the last year or so especially I started just reading a lot more about it and also connecting with the community and that's how I begun to you know that's how now I'm more like aware of it and I'm like oh okay first of all we have to get rid of this idea that it's a linear scale because it's not because it's like oh my god it's just crazy because there's still so many people out there on a day-to-day -day basis that I see getting this wrong about the spectrum they don't understand that the spectrum is a wheel of different traits it's not right it, and those traits can, yeah. the intensity can vary too. And it's like, it's not, it's not this linear scale, like mild to severe. And it's just so like, oh my God. Um, yeah. I definitely talk about the, the spiky profile in my work. And that is, you know, it is a wheel, like you say, and each neurodivergent individual is going to have a different presentation of how they show up on that wheel. And they're going to have different skills. And sometimes, you know, they'll have these amazing skills in one area and completely lack skills in another area. So that's why we call it the spiky profile. But mm. you're absolutely right. There's so much stigma out there about what autism is that is so inaccurate and also so damaging to the people who are autistic. Yep. Yeah, definitely. It's it's really damaging and people don't most people just don't even know. Like all they're just so mind blown. Like when I start sharing like these resources with them and stuff, most people are just mind blown because they just have never 
had any exposure to this information. Um, and so I'm glad that at least, you know, I mean, I know it's, it, it's gonna, it takes a lot of us and, and more, but, you know, to know that at least I'm even just by sharing, like when I share resources with, with friends and stuff that I'm making, already planting seeds in people's brains and making, you know, it's like more people will know, even if it's, if it's just like around my community or whatever, like the fact that more people will know about neurodiversity, like that's something that, that, um, is definitely gratifying to me. Um, yeah, it's so important. And yeah. I, you know, I really am grateful that there's people like you out there on this mission because the more of us that are out there that are coming out and being honest about our experience, the more we'll ignite others and motivate others to also come out about their experience. And it's a ripple effect. Yeah, exactly. You know, the more people share, the more people share. And that's how change happens. For sure, yeah. Um, I have, so before I ask you a little bit about your website, uh, I wanted to ask briefly, I guess just as a follow-up to my last question, what have you learned about yourself and how to accommodate your needs as a neurodistinct person? So I've learned that I need to take breaks. And I need to take more frequent breaks than some other people. So yeah. really working those breaks into my schedule makes me more productive and happier. Yeah, I've so noticed definitely... the same about myself. Yeah. I was, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, I've just been, like, allowing myself to... Um, to like have to to have more breaks and just you know reminding myself that it's okay if I need to take a break uh and you know because of my brain because I get overstimulated because you know I need uh to kind of recenter myself um I give myself that accommodation and 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 it helps a lot and it's like it's really also about not feeling shame around that and being able to advocate like advocate for it like if I'm because um, like I'm an actor so like if I'm if I'm working on a project I'm on on set with a certain group of people I, I let them know like hey I need to take and just you know becoming more confident and like expressing like I need to take breaks so I don't get overstimulated and this and that and just confidently expressing that because now I feel like I'm in an environment where I feel confident enough and also all the information that I've had access to and like being more confident and advocating for myself like I wish I felt this confident um like when I was in school like 10 years ago or whatnot um because like I certainly didn't feel and it's like because of the whole thing like because of the fact that schools won't most schools won't accommodate you if you have a hidden disability even with the diagnosis um so like i was so used to being denied accommodations because i was you know led to believe that i didn't deserve them um that i was like that made me 
like that was so damaging now that I think back at it because it made me feel like I was it wasn't even worth it for me to ask like I was it made me in a way feel kind of like ashamed to ask for accommodations or to advocate for myself and now I thanks to all the work I've done and everything I've read and just becoming more comfortable as an advocate it's 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 very different now um, That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so and now the uh, one of the main questions I wanted to ask you is uh, your website and uh, what led you to become a neurodistinct life coach and um, and start it. Yeah, absolutely. So. What brought me to this phase of my life, being a neurodivergent relationship coach and helping others, is really a lot of life experience. I went through some very challenging and traumatic periods in my life, as I would say probably almost every neurodivergent individual does. Yeah. Um, our world is not built for the neurodivergent brain our world is built for neurotypicals and so we have sort of built-in trauma that we're more likely to experience throughout our life cycle and it's really that life experience that I've been through and that I've turned from you know these this trauma and these struggles and these challenges into rays of, of hope and of light and meaning in my life that I want to bring healing and help to other people so they don't necessarily have to go through as many dark nights of the soul or as many difficulties as I went through. I just want to lift other people up and I really think that everybody deserves to have a romantic partner if they want one, meaningful relationships, a sense of community and belonging and that's what I do in my work. Wow, wonderful. Uh, I mean, first of all, like, thank you for for everything that you are doing in helping other neurodistinct folks, you know, navigate this, this world that isn't um, meant for them. And I think that also speaks to like, how, how, um, innovative we can be as neurodivergent folks like how 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 beautiful it is like when we take a situation like a world that isn't meant for us and we you know we figure out our own ways to thrive in it and then also from there we can help other people as well um and i just think it's it's so great, you know, like that, that I'm what you're able to do with your website and your life coaching and what I'm able to do with my podcast. Um, yeah, I'm just, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's great. Um, and so, yeah, how, um, so how long ago was it that you started your website? So we've been around since November. Oh, cool. Okay. And so how has that experience been? Like, uh, how, you know, just on the, you know, um, talking with other neurodistinct folks and their, you know, their experiences and, and all that. It's 
been wonderful. I mean, it's, it's so nice to give back and to help other people and to help people who are like me and who are going through things that I've been through. And so I'm so grateful to have this opportunity because that's what lights me up and that's what brings me joy. And I know that if I can alleviate some suffering or I can help someone find the answers that they're looking for that are within them, if I can help them unlock them, that's really amazing. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, I feel the same way about my podcast and, you know, the other platforms that I have. Um, Like, um, I have a blog and an Instagram page as well. And, uh, you know, like, just being able to reach people and knowing that, like, someone that's, you know, not maybe not feeling well, that's, like, struggling with, like, understanding themselves and, like, why they don't fit in, like, they'll come across... The fact that they can come across one of my posts or come across one of my episodes and feel more encouraged is what, like, as in the same way that they can come across your website and maybe have a phone call with you and, like, you know, just, yeah, just the fact that we're able to, like, uplift and help other people for sure. That, that's really gratifying for me as well. Um, and, uh, what has been the most challenging part of this journey for you? Coming out as autistic, it's scary. And I really feel like it's equivalent to coming out as gay, um, back in the seventies or eighties. I feel like there's still a lot of stigma against autistic individuals and against admitting that you have an invisible disability. Yeah. I certainly relate. Like, it's still something, like, for me that I'm very selective. Like, I'll tell... I mean, at this point, like, most of my close friends and family know, especially because I've been advocating so hard in the last year, um, become a lot more in touch with it myself. Um, but there are still certain people, like, people that are more, like, acquaintances or, like, friends that I don't see that much that I don't know yet. I'm not quite very comfortable, like, telling them, and I wouldn't just tell anyone, like, if I'm meeting someone and I don't have a significant amount of time that I'm able to, like, sit down and explain to them like what autism and neurodiversity actually is um i'm probably not going to be comfortable disclosing my diagnosis or or, like the most i'll do is maybe i'll disclose like if it's something that i feel like they're going to need to know i'll disclose that i have sensory processing differences or that like um i have some neuromotor function difficulties Um, but I, or sensory stuff, like, yeah, I I won't, it's, which is unfortunate because like, there's so much stigma out there that we can't feel comfortable disclosing that we're autistic without people like automatically like questioning that or not understanding. So then we have to have this whole like conversation with them for them to understand. Um, right. 
Exactly. Oh my god. One of the like, ugh, I hate that. Yeah. Oh my god. Doesn't have a look, people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what uh, what has been the most gratifying part of this journey for you? I would say accepting and loving myself, and in turn helping others to accept and love themselves, and to rediscover who they are and what they love and enjoy, you know, rediscover likes and dislikes and cultivate meaningful relationships and community. I think that community and friendships and connections, our social connections are so important and so desired by neurotypicals and neurodivergents alike. There is some misinformation out there that, you know, autistic people don't want relationships or don't have the skills to have relationships, and I think that that's really just another stigma. I think yeah. most of us want to have meaningful relationships. It's true. It is a, a big stigma. I mean, I, I relate to a lot of what you said about, like, understanding myself better and accepting myself, but it's also, like, it is frustrating, like, how many stigmas are still out there that we still have to fight, like, about, you know, like, this whole thing with, like, people think that we don't have empathy, and it's, like... Oh, my gosh. Like, I know. It's, weird. like, we experience... <laughs> we, we experience it in different ways, but it's, like, anything... It feels like anything that's different for neurotypicals is, like, wrong, or, like, we don't have it. And it's, like, oh, my gosh. Like, this whole thing... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that we don't want relationships, that we don't like people. It's, like, no, we, we don't... We feel misunderstood. Like, the reason we're alone by ourselves a lot of times, uh, aside from the fact that that's what we need sometimes, is the fact that we're misunderstood. Like, I was alone a lot of times in school because I was misunderstood, not because I didn't like people. Um, But it's like, yeah, no one would make the effort. No one would, like, make the effort to, like, under and actually would really appreciate it when every once in a while there would be one person, as a matter of fact, there's one person from that school in Brazil that I used to go to that I'm still in touch with him. And the reason that I'm still in touch with him, like more than 10 years later, is because I feel like he was like the only person that actually made an effort to connect with me. Um, like he, he I remember he walked up to me like one time. He was like, he noticed that I was shy. And he said, Hey, I know you're kind of shy. I, I was kind of shy, too. I used to struggle a lot. Um, you know, with this and that, and, um, I mean, it's just, like, the fact that he, like, went to reach out to me, and, because I just wasn't used to that, like, to people trying to connect with me, so, and that was just so impactful, because no wonder, like, now he's the only person from that school that I, like, still in touch with, so, um, I mean, yeah, it just goes a long way when people make the effort to understand us instead of being quick to judge us because we're, like, quirky or, like, we behave differently than them. Right. So any neurotypicals listening, if you have someone in your life who presents differently or might be quirky or unique or different, reach out to them. Give them an opportunity to get to know you, give them an opportunity to 
cultivate a relationship and see if maybe there's a person inside that shy person that could really be an amazing connection for you. And something that you had mentioned um, in the questions was how do you use um, your neurodivergence as an advantage? And when you were just talking right now about empathy, one of the things that came up for me was my hyper-empathy. Yeah. I have extreme empathy to the point where I can be moved to tears sometimes over things. Same. And I have to really moderate that. Oh my gosh. It's so common. And like you were saying, it's just that it presents differently in us sometimes. Yeah. There's a lot of things that come up, like the hyper empathy. I have exceptional listening skills. I can help others to feel calm and welcome and included. Um, I have a gift for mediation. I'm patient and I'm playful, even as an adult and creative. have an amazing attention to detail which I think a lot of us do and I can see into a person or an organization and look at the framework and see where issues are cropping up and pinpoint those issues and address them to make everything Mm -hmm. smoother yeah I I mean I relate to to all of that but especially what you were saying about hyper empathy it's like oh my goodness like i i forgot to mention you know like people give us such a hard time about or i don't know they make such rash judgments about like oh autistic people don't have empathy but it's like we have hyper empathy like there are moments like you said like because for me too there are moments that i am i get i literally like i'll start crying over something that someone else might not really be sensitive to and I'm just like really emotional or really anxious or really shaken up by something and then ironically people will judge that as being too sensitive so it's like you can't be right driving past you know homeless people Mm -hmm. every time I see a homeless person my heart drops Mm -hmm. I don't think that there should have to be homeless people. No. But it's like neurotypicals are able to just turn that off. Yeah. Yeah. So it. many things. So, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, I don't know. It, I just find it so ironic because either we are, not, it's like all according to their scale. Like either we're not sensitive enough or we're too sensitive. So it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um Anyways, it's just, that's why I think there needs to be so much more understanding. And I think it's great because like the work that you're doing and the work that I'm doing, you know, and so many other advocates out there, um, you know, we will, we're, we're slowly making progress, you know, bridging the gap and promoting better communication in between, uh, neurotypicals and neurodivergence um so yeah i um that's all those are all the questions i have for today i i just wanted to say uh thank you so much for coming on once again um michelle has a a great website a life coaching website it's if i'm not mistaken it's www.michellemarkman.com 
Okay, lovely. You yeah. can reach me there to book a call. I have a, th- a free 30-minute transformation call. It will change your life in 30 minutes or less. So lovely. definitely reach out. Lovely. Yes, thank definitely. Thank you so much for having me on, George. Yes, thank you, of course. Thank you for coming You're on. Doing amazing work. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode, um, and I'll see you next time.